Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Dolphins and welcome into the Monday, May the 6th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the horses ran amidst some controversy at the Kentucky Derby, so we're going to look at Miami's racehorse offense and how they can maximize their parts on the offensive side of the football. Plus, we'll project snap counts for the 2019 season, make a couple of roster predictions ahead of rookie minicamps, and weigh in on the debate between two Dolphins legends. All of that and much more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya Podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show for us. We were a top 100 podcast last week. So again, thank you all for that very, very much. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfulNFL. The show is at LockedOnFins. And our written content on LockedOnDolphins.com has been the number one blog in the LockedOn Network for more than a year running now. And last but not least, the other LockedOn Sports family of podcasts like the LockedOn Heat podcast and LockedOn NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I'm excited to get things started today. Let's go ahead and jump right in. And I was watching the Kentucky Derby with my wife at a bar in Hood River, Oregon, which if you guys ever find your way out to the Pacific Northwest, go to Hood River and sample the breweries and the wineries and get all the food that they have to offer there. That's one of my favorite cities in the entire universe. And we were there this weekend for some Mariners games and for the Kentucky Derby. It's kind of become a bit of a tradition for us because her birthday is on May 7th. So we always spend the first weekend in May in Hood River for her birthday. And we were sitting there watching it and I was telling her, we had the draft last week and I had all this rookie film to break down and get to. And I really didn't have any content for the podcast today. And that's not normal because I have a hard time turning my brain off and turning off the content producing machine that is my brain. And over the weekend, getting away from it all, kind of disconnecting, getting off Twitter for the most part. I had some tweets here and there, but I wasn't really engaged on Twitter like I normally am. And it was refreshing. It was a good reset. And then I watched the Kentucky Derby, and of course, the old football brain started kicking in because I thought about how we could relate the Kentucky Derby to the podcast here, and in honor of the Kentucky Derby and all the speed displayed by those horses throughout the day and how much football there is involved in the Kentucky Derby with all the NFL players that show up there, I thought it was an apt time to talk about Miami's own speed on the offensive side of the ball, and now that I'm a couple of games into the Josh Rosen charting project, the picture of what this Dolphins offense will look like under Josh Rosen and under Chad O'Shea is beginning to come into focus a little bit for me. And I use a combination of things to piece together this quasi-Franken offense, and it's all based around the speed of the Dolphins' skill players. And it starts with Albert Wilson, who I've also done some charting on, and I don't have it finished yet. I'm going to put it back behind the Josh Rosen project. And of course, it was bounced back by all the draft stuff that went down the last couple of weeks. But that'll be up on Locked On Dolphins here in the next few weeks. 
But what I've noticed from watching him with Adam Gaze last year was they would put him into the boundary, which gives him single coverage. And of course, the boundary is the short side of the field. So if you're on the left hash mark, he lines up split wide to the left. And that gives him single coverage without safety help, especially if you have Kenny Stills or Jakeem Grant or even both of them on the other side of the formation. And from there, you have a basic sight adjustment that every team, every offense in the NFL uses. It starts off as a go route, has a back shoulder and hitch conversion involved in that route concept. And it always starts with the takeoff route, the go route. But if the corner bails early, the route then converts to a hitch route. So you can pick up an easy five or six yards that way. Or if the press is effective and Wilson simply doesn't get a step on the corner and he's blanketed, you can convert that play to a back shoulder throw. And this has been one of the most impressive throws I've seen from Josh Rosen on film based on what I've seen so far. And that parlays into the use of the tight ends. And we'll get into this in the next segment. But a lot of Rosen's success does come from 12 personnel and throwing to tight ends with bracket coverage. And what that is, is a linebacker underneath chasing and a safety over the top in an attempt to prevent the big play, but also trying to arrive at the same time as the football to dislodge the ball in case he does make that catch. Now, he's really good, Rosen is, at putting these footballs on the line, which allows the receiver to pluck the ball in stride and just throw his hands up, which doesn't give any tails to the underneath chasing linebacker. And this is different compared to floating the football or throwing a finesse touch pass, which forces the receiver to have to adjust mid-flight and make a type of contorting catch opposed to just catching it in stride and getting himself down and protecting himself. And that's kind of what Ryan Tannehill did a lot of times in those throws. He put too much air under it and not really knowing which pitch in the tool bag to go to. And that's where I think the Miami Dolphins will focus the offense this year. 12 personnel with a lot of speed at wide receiver and the size and athleticism of Mike Kosicki, but also the brute force of Dwayne Allen to compare the or to pair those things together and make this offense as explosive as it can be. It should be a fun offensive system to watch grow and develop. And I think you'll see Chandler Cox join that group of Gasicki and Allen as far as guys that come onto the field in 12 and 21 personnel. And again, 12 personnel, it starts off with the first number is your running backs. Your second number is your tight ends. So 12 personnel means one running back, two tight ends. And so that's three skill players on the field and you have to have five. So the rest of them are receivers. So you'd have two receivers and 12 personnel and the same deal for 21 personnel, which is just flipped two backs, one tight end, two receivers. I think Jakeem Grant needs an extended role in this offense because of his speed and because of what he can do in 12 personnel. You'll recall last year, Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson as the two receivers in 12 personnel. That was one of the Dolphins' more effective packages. And that's where the next part of this offensive breakdown comes in, in the mesh concepts. And that's how you destroy teams in zone coverage. If you want to see the mesh concept at its best, go back and watch Dwayne Haskins last year against the Michigan defense in November. All they did was mesh them to death and let the speed of their receivers just chew up that Michigan defense. And all the mesh concept is, is crossing routes underneath the linebackers. And it's always against zone coverage for the most part. And it's designed to force those linebackers into some quick decisions, but also make them try to match the speed with the receivers. And there's not a single linebacker in this league that can keep up with Wilson, Grant, or Kenny Stills for that matter. And this also allows the quarterback to work from the inside out, something I've seen Rosen do very well as far as some of his most successful plays in Arizona last year. Then we go back to the backfield and there's even more versatility back there. 
People forget, at least I think they do, how dynamic of a receiver Kenyon Drake could be. And that's, of course, thanks a lot, Adam Gaze. But he did score five times as a receiver last year, and he's even more capable of splitting out and running routes as a wide receiver. You'll recall that takeoff route from the slot two years ago on Monday Night Football against the Brian Flores-led Patriots defense, where he caught a 40-something yard pass from Jay Cutler. He has that skill set in him. Then you've got Kalen Balage, who offers more of the same. And I think Miami really has some parts to be a matchup-based offense that can force the defense into personnel packaging they do not want to see on the field because you can go hurry up and adjust your personnel with the same bodies on the field. And that's very, very valuable. The offense does lack one big playmaker, in my opinion, and that could well be a focus next offseason. I've talked about the probably improbable idea of trading for A.J. Green, and that idea comes from the Bengals having a disastrous year this year, and they don't want to give him another contract at age 32, and it's really just spitballing an idea for finding a number one receiver type. There's a much nicer-looking crop of wide receivers coming out next year's draft also, but it all harkens back to this. If Josh Rosen is a hit, if he is unequivocally your answer at the quarterback position— Man, that 2020 offseason will provide the Dolphins with a lot of resources to really make this a good-looking football team by as early as next year. And that's why I keep saying this. This season is all about Josh Rose and the Dolphins quarterback, and nothing gets Miami closer to championship contention than Rosen working out, proving he's the man. And I know that does seem obvious, and it is obvious. But the perhaps not-so-obvious part is the ripple effect it has on Miami next offseason with all those resources and not having to use those resources, draft capital, or finances on the quarterback. Personally, I'm excited for it. All right, we're going to come back and project the snap counts next year for the Dolphins in the second segment ahead of this week's rookie minicamps. All that next, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. One of the fun parts of hosting a daily podcast and providing daily content on one football team is just how deep into everything you can get. And that's what I hope I provide for fans of the Dolphins here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Part of the Lockdown Podcast Network is the most comprehensive coverage on this team imaginable. And what that kind of can do at times, though, is get you bogged down in some little minor details. And that might be what this is a little bit, but I do think it's a fair exercise. And it actually got me thinking about some of the training camp battles, which of course we'll discuss throughout the summer. But this piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com is what we're going to talk about right now. It's called Projecting the Miami Dolphins 2019 Snap Counts, trying to figure out based upon 1,000 snaps, because that's pretty much typical baseline for an NFL team, both on offense and on defense, And the bummer of the Adam Gase era, well, among many bummers, was that the offense actually never reached a thousand plays. So they were always short in terms of getting enough play counts for everyone to get their particular snap counts to be the best versions of themselves. And that's what we base this off of here. 1,000 snaps on both sides of the football. I also put no injuries into this because if I start projecting injuries, we're going to get way off into the weeds. So for the sake of this project, we're going to assume everybody is healthy every week. I know that's impossible and it's not going to happen. 
but I think it makes more sense to do it this way rather than projecting injuries either before the season or throughout the course of the season on a week-by-week basis. As you'll recall, last year the Dolphins were without guys like Cam Wake for a few weeks. Rashad Jones was down for a couple of weeks. Bobby McCain got hit early on. The Dolphins lost plenty of guys early on in that season. And if we do that, we're going to be getting into the weeds on the Dolphins practice squad, on deep on the depth chart, even going into possible street free agents to bring in like Sylvester Williams and Ziggy Hood last year. So no injury accounting and we'll consider the use of multiple offensive and defensive packages. I think this year we're going to see more 12 personnel, more 21 personnel, probably some more 13 personnel. And I know on defense, we'll see more dime defense, even some seven defensive backs on the field at times. So that was all put into account here as most of the snap counts go towards the defensive backs on defense and on offense. It was a really, really good shuffle of the deck in terms of getting everybody their workloads. So with that, on offense, in a perfect world, the quarterback and all five linemen play 100% of your snaps, and that leaves you with 5,000 snaps for the skill players to divvy up. And again, going off of 12 and 21 personnel, but still, 11 personnel is the primary offensive play grouping in the NFL. That's your baseline. And so with that, quarterback Josh Rosen plays 1,000 snaps. No surprise there. Left tackle Laramie Tunzel, he plays 1,000 snaps as well. I gave Michael Dieter, the Wisconsin third-round draft pick rookie, 1,000 snaps at left guard. At right guard, I gave Chris Reed, the Jaguar free agent, 1,000 snaps. And I gave Jesse Davis the starting right tackle job. And the biggest surprise of this entire project was I gave the center job to an undrafted rookie free agent from Purdue, Kirk Barron. I tweeted out his highlight clip from Purdue. It's actually all 22 tapes, so it's a lot easier to watch and see some of the things he can do as far as his versatility and reaching the three technique as a puller, pulling out into space on screens and outside zone, anchoring against a bull rush. And also the biggest part to me was the intelligence, which goes well and pairs well next to Michael Dieter to pick up combination blocks, both against the run with a chip and a climb, but most importantly, against stunts as he can chip and reroute and redirect and find work as guys loop around. And he's doing very good work on that tape in the YouTube video I posted up on Twitter. So Kirk Barron, my starting center, 1,000 snaps there. And then I have a bunch of snap counts to get to on the offensive side of the ball. I gave Kenyon Drake 600 reps, which is about 60%. The Patriots top back last year, James White, played 56%. I do think they'll feature Kenyon Drake. I gave Kalen Balazs 35% of the reps at 350. And Miles Gaskin checks in with 100. Chandler Cox got 250. And then we get to the wide receivers. And this part's difficult because I'm not really sure who's going to be the number one. I'm not sure how they're going to divvy up the snap counts based upon personnel packaging, but I gave Kenny Stills the most with 850 and Albert Wilson the next with 800. Then a pretty big drop off for Jakeem Grant, who plays half the snaps at 50%. And then Devontae Parker and Bryce Butler round out the rest. On tight ends, I gave Dwayne Allen the most at 650 and I gave Mike Kosicki 550 snaps on the offense with Nick O'Leary and Durham Smythe chipping in there as well. So Kirk Barron beats out Daniel Kilgore on the offensive line, and that probably means Kilgore gets cut. We'll get back to that here in just a second. Let's move things over to the defensive side of the ball, and you've got 11,000 snaps to account for on this side of the ball. Again, a perfect world, no injuries. You're going to have four guys in the secondary that play every single snap in a best-case scenario, and probably one linebacker, maybe two, But for the sake of this article and this podcast and this prediction, I'm going to go with just one linebacker, Raekwon McMillan, playing 1,000 snaps, all 100% of the Dolphins' defensive snaps in 2019. 
and we'll go ahead and stay there at linebacker as the number two linebacker I have taking the most snaps for Miami is Jerome Baker. Now, I only gave him 650 snaps, which is 65% of the defensive workload. And a lot of that comes from Kevin Dern talking about how maybe some of his work and some of his role could be rounded out among the other linebackers. So I'm going to trust Kevin's word because he knows this defense as well as anybody. And I think that could make a lot of sense in terms of getting multiple guys in the field with different fronts. And Jerome Baker maybe doesn't fit a lot of those fronts you run, even though he is a primary backer on this team with 65% of the snaps. Kiko Alonso comes up next with 45% of the snaps, 450 on the workload. And I do hope that Andrew Van Ginkle will eventually supplant him, but I did give Van Ginkle less, 350 reps, 35% of the workload. And then I gave some snaps to Chase Allen and Jerome Elliott to J. Ron Elliott too, who makes the team from the AAF. And then back in the secondary, the most important part of this defense, Xavier Howard and Eric Rowe. Again, no injuries, which for Eric Rowe is kind of funny to say. 1,000 snaps for those guys. That's 100% there. At safety, Minka Fitzpatrick and Rashad Jones. 1,000 snaps there, 100% as well. Then your starting slot cornerback is Bobby McCain with 750 snaps, 75% of the reps as Miami will be in the nickel for at least 75% of their plays. And then that's where it gets tricky because you have to find snaps for a third safety because in this defense, they're going to run three safety looks a lot, 60% of the time probably at least. So who do you want in there for that role? Do you want TJ McDonald playing deep in coverage or would you rather have Maurice Smith? Because the answer to me is the latter and that's why I think McDonald could be a cut candidate even though all of his salary is guaranteed Maybe the Dolphins can find a trade partner, but I just don't see where he comes in on this defense. And with that, I gave Maurice Smith 500 snaps, 50%, just because he's the third safety on this team in this particular role, in my opinion. I gave some snaps to Jalen Davis and Cornell Armstrong at cornerback as well. You guys can check out the rest of those up on the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. And on the defensive line, I gave Christian Wilkins the most snap of any defensive lineman. I think that's probably a pretty safe bet. I gave him 650 at 65%. Devon Gotcha and Vincent Taylor both play half, 500 reps for both of those guys, though I could see both those numbers going up and increasing as well. And this next one is tough to predict because Charles Harris could play defensive end, he could play linebacker, and if he does play some linebacker, this probably goes up, but I gave him 350, as well as Tank Carradine getting 350, both of them play 35% of the reps, and then I gave Jonathan Woodard, Jonathan Ledbetter, who makes the team as a UDFA, and Kendrick Norton. Those guys all get reps as well. If you guys want to check out the rest of that, again, the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. But try this yourself. It's pretty tough to figure out who you want to give snaps to, especially when you take into account the different personnel packages the Dolphins are going to run as they are going to be vast and wide. And before we turn over to the next segment here, I talked about the surprise cut of possibly Dan Kilgore, maybe even TJ McDonald, or maybe he just gets put on the bench deep on the death chart and contributes in some way there as a guy that backs up Rashad Jones, who has his own injury history as well. I just don't see how he gets onto the field in a free safety role, in a dime safety role. He's got to play more of a quasi linebacker coming down around the box. But again, you don't want him taking that position because Rashad Jones is better at it than him. And Jones in his own right is not very good in center field either. So that's the option there. I would probably rather have Maurice Smith going forward. And the last surprise cut, a guy I didn't put on this list, a guy that I thought would have been cut a long time ago was Akeem Spence. He's not a scheme fit. He wasn't that good when he was a scheme fit last year. So Akeem Spence, Daniel Kilgore, and TJ McDonald, my top three candidates for surprise cuts. And just before I move on here, I wanted to address something ahead of rookie minicamp 
And Jim Nagy, the guy that runs the Senior Bowl, has a pretty active Twitter account. He'll come at you if you troll him. So try that if you want to have some fun. But he had a tweet the other day about how many camps can quickly expose or elevate players on the roster. And he was talking about his time in Seattle, which was a little bit discreet, trying to be under the radar, but it was quickly found out that he was talking about the Seahawks' third round pick from 2017, Amara Darbo. And he said that they took a player once in the third round in Seattle, and the staff immediately recognized that he couldn't do it, that he wasn't cut out to play at this level. And Darbo has kind of middled around the Seahawks organization and hasn't contributed. So it's very interesting to hear him say that because this week right here, this coming week with rookie minicamps, May 9th through the 12th, Thursday through Sunday of this week, it gives us an idea of maybe some of these guys will show you something and maybe some of the guys won't and they'll have to realize some mistakes early on in this process. Nonetheless, we have some football ahead of us. It'll give us a lot of content for next week's show. But up next on this show, I saw a debate going around the streets of Twitter regarding two Dolphins legends. We'll break that down next. Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network on Twitter at Wingfield NFL and the show at Locked On Fins. It's May the 6th. We are just over four months away from opening day as the Dolphins will begin this new season here in a matter of months as training camp starts, of course, at the end of July. But before we get to that, we do have OTAs and rookie minicamps this week. But in that stretch of that three or four months without football, we're going to have to find some things to talk about. And you guys pulled up a very interesting debate on Twitter as the best debates always find a way to tear the fabric of an otherwise unified group or a tribe, however you want to describe groups. And in true Dolphins fan form, we've allowed this debate once again to provide another divisive topic amongst the fans. And I suppose that's just who we've become, maybe as a fan base, maybe as a country, maybe as a people. But now that Ryan Tannehill is finally gone, people don't know what to argue about. And that said, I think these arguments are the types you do want to have. Debating the greatness of two great players is far better than debating the staying power of a middling quarterback with massive but never reached potential in Ryan Tannehill. So the question has been posed. Who deserves a spot in the ring of honor first or maybe even who deserves it more? Cam Wake or Ricky Williams? And first, before we start... They both belong. They both belong in Canton in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion, especially if you use Cam Wake's CFL numbers, which are unprecedented and ridiculous. Ricky ran for 10,000 yards in his career, despite missing multiple years out of his prime, and Cam Wake eclipsed 100 sacks, or at least he will this season in Tennessee, as an undrafted free agent, a guy whose career began at age 28 when most players are getting to the end of their primes late into their 20s. And both of those facts are completely absurd. Both players were absurd. Cam was consistently a PFF darling. He had grades in the top five defensive ends. I think it was four out of five seasons. He won the pressure rate battle over the course of several years, always up there with the Von Miller types of the NFL. And every single year he was in that top pressure rate in the early 2010s. But this next part of the argument is actually where Cam probably wins the argument. And I was going to make this case for Ricky, but then I looked it up. Cam was a first-team All-Pro once, but he made five Pro Bowls. And this next part, Ricky was also a first-team All-Pro one time, but that was his only Pro Bowl appearance. He went to the Pro Bowl one time. I didn't know that. 
That's a crazy fact. How Ricky only made one Pro Bowl is completely mind-blowing to me. But then again, after thinking about it, is it? Aside from 2002 and 2003, he was never a feature back in Miami, except that 2009 stretch run when Ronnie Brown got hurt and all Ricky did was post a 1,000-yard season, becoming the player with the greatest gap between 1,000-yard seasons, and that was all done because of that dominant stretch at the end of the year as the feature back. Then you go back to his days in New Orleans, and his numbers were never great. They were good, but they weren't great. But that's not the debate. It's about who was a better dolphin. And it comes down to these two factors. Do you prefer longevity or do you prefer who was the best at their peak? Because the answer is easy once you've decided which of those is more important to you. Cam was here for a decade and he was really, really damn good for that decade. Ricky had two great years, one all-time season, then he had a bunch of contributing seasons from 2005 to 2010 with the Dolphins. But I chose the latter the more dominant player at his peak, and that was Ricky Williams. He was a true, true superstar in 2002. He was one of the NFL's most recognizable, most marketable, and best players at that time. Cam was never that. He deserved to be, probably, but he never was. And as much as I love Cam, and despite the fact that I'm naming my firstborn child after him, the answer for me is Ricky Williams. Now, you guys, your job is to please go blow up my mentions and tell me how right or how wrong I am with Ricky Williams in the Ring of Honor in Canton ahead of Cam Wake. All right, let's go ahead and wrap things up here. The Josh Rosen project is underway, and I'm debating releasing them one by one or doing it all at the same time. I think that would provide the best context as I want to be able to get a full season's worth of numbers as far as his success rate, throwing the ball from different personnel packages, throwing into contested windows, that type of thing. I'll have a decision on that for you guys soon. We've got two of them done, so I'll figure it out here quickly. But we should have some new content for you guys this week as we always do, but of course the Dolphins, I am pretty certain they'll be adding some names to their roster. They do have three or four open roster spots right now, so keep an eye out for some free agent film breakdowns, but in the meantime, if you guys have a smart speaker, you can go ahead and pull the podcast up right away in your car or otherwise. Just say play Locked on Dolphins podcast for your daily dose. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app or the Apple podcast app. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Monday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Tuesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. The sky.